This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Tyrus. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Trey Gowdy, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, October 13th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. The president deploys his top military and diplomatic aides to Israel as the war with Hamas intensifies. You know, Secretary Austin has made clear that we offer anything and everything to the Israelis that they need at this moment. And certainly when there are Americans in the mix, we have our own interests as well yeah. in getting those people out safely if there's any possible way of doing that. We speak with Fox News Sunday anchor Shannon Bream. I'm Chris Foster. Of the 9 million people living in Israel, the State Department says about a half million are American citizens. Everyone in the free world who believes in empathy and the human spirit needs to come out against this and needs to make sure this is ended once and for all. And I'm Mark Thiessen. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The U.S. Defense Secretary is meeting with Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in the country's war cabinet today in Jerusalem. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Netanyahu yesterday, revealing the reporter's images he saw of the massacre by Hamas terrorists over the weekend. It's hard to find the right words. It's beyond what anyone would ever want to imagine, much less actually see and god forbid experience lincoln described an infant with bullet wounds soldiers beheaded and civilians burned alive i could go on but it's simply depravity in the worst imaginable way the administration also said as of thursday afternoon 27 american citizens were among the dead from the saturday attacks more than a dozen remain missing and at least some are thought to be hostages in Gaza. The State Department is also beginning today to provide charter flights for U.S. citizens in Israel who want a way out. And I would add that we're also exploring other options to expand the capacity of, of, of doing this, including exploring whether it's possible to help Americans leave by land and by sea. But White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says while the U.S. is fully engaged with Israeli counterparts, there is no desire for American service members to join combat operations. There are no plans or intentions to do that, so there are no active planning efforts underway to do that. And the Israelis have made it clear that, that they would not welcome that in, in any event. But support from the U.S. will continue, Kirby said unconditionally, even as talks emerge on potential humanitarian relief for millions of Palestinian civilians civilians stranded in Gaza. Certainly over the last few years, I mean, this is something that during the Biden administration, um, we were told before he came into office that foreign policy was his specialty. And unfortunately, he's had a very full plate. Shannon Bream is the anchor of Fox News Sunday and the host of the Living the Bream podcast. But yeah, this uh, back and forth, I think this administration has done a good job of leaving no daylight between the U.S. and Israel as we move forward here. So I think the constant communication, the multiple statements, you know, written and verbal from this president have left no doubt as to where the U.S. stands on this. 
Yeah, inviting, uh, certainly we've seen over the last um, couple of days to uh, Jewish leaders, Jewish groups mm-hmm. to the White House. Obviously, mm-hmm. there are questions being raised about the safety and security of what we think are at least several Americans who may be hostages in Gaza. Uh, how how do those back channels work if if the United States doesn't sort of directly send U.S. forces in there? Yeah. And the White House has been uh, and the president and others speaking on his behalf have been very clear, like, listen, we're not going to telegraph exactly what we're doing, but we certainly are well aware of the Americans in danger, the Americans we've lost. What's at stake here? Um, There had been talk that there are special operations forces already on the ground in Israel because they would be there in conjunction with the embassy, that Mm. kind of thing. Are they actually being activated? We kind of have been waved off that. But would they tell us if they had been activated? (laughs) We don't always. Yeah. (laughs) We don't know. But, you know, Secretary Austin has made clear that we offer anything and everything to the Israelis that they need at this moment. And certainly when there are Americans in the mix, we have our own interests as well in getting those people out safely if there's any possible way of doing that. So I listen, I prayed this morning for wisdom for the leaders of Israel, of the U.S., of world powers who are being drawn into this because they're having to make decisions that require the utmost wisdom and discretion and um, I don't envy them. But when we have, you know, people of all nationalities involved, including Americans, of course, we're going to have to be on the front lines of these conversations. It would appear at least two dozen Americans may be killed as well during th- this attack by um, Hamas in, in the Gaza Strip. Um, that, too, is going to set up some questions about moving forward. Um Israel has already indicated that they're probably going to need some more security assistance. I would imagine that's not a real hard sell for this administration Mm -hmm. and for this Congress. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think nearly everyone on Capitol Hill is unified in that message. The problem, as you and I both know, is we don't have a House speaker. And so to get legislation moving, to get things, you know, actually functioning um Republicans. And that's a separate conversation, but they're going to have to figure that out and get that resolved. Mm -hmm. So. You know, when you have one of the major leadership positions in Congress open, it hampers their ability to function as quickly as we would like them to in a situation like this. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, I think, that absence here in the next couple of minutes. But let me sort of broaden this out to what events like this. And this is certainly an extraordinary, unique event, but it speaks to the dangers that exist globally that can hit the plate of a U.S. president without much warning or any notice. Um, Is this the type of event that could reshape how we are viewing now the election happening in this country next year? It's possible because, listen, foreign policy moves front and center, and there are actually some divisions within the GOP field. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, former President Trump remains the runaway leader in the polls. Um, Many of these other campaigns think that there are opportunities for them in these early states, uh, whether it's Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, they you pull an upset or you close that gap significantly and it maybe changes the conversation. But you've got Nikki Haley, who dealt with all of this at the U.N. as our ambassador to the U.N. And even this week, we've seen some things happen there that you know, just make you scratch your head about positions that other um, you know countries and leaders are taking. So she's been very full throated about this, like it's time to sweep the leg. Let's get this over with. And that's provoked a response from Vivek Ramaswamy, who is one of the I, I would say argue somewhat of an outlier in some of the foreign policy mm-hmm. issues within the GOP field. He's taking a swipe at her saying, you know, that's inflammatory. You've got to be very measured in these situations, trying to distinguish himself on that front. I think it's going to be tough for him only because she's been in those trenches. And clearly our new polling shows us that she is getting traction. Mm-hmm. 
And there have been some comments now that have been criticized by Republicans and Democrats by former President Trump as he sort of had his initial reaction to the uh, response of the new coalition government in Israel led by Benjamin Netanyahu. And you wonder how those kind of moments could impact the race moving forward Mm -hmm. and perhaps some of the ways that other candidates are able to maybe find an attack on him that so far haven't really stuck in any meaningful way as we've looked at the polls. Mm -hmm. Well, and you even heard over the weekend from former Vice President Pence, his former vice president, Mm -hmm. actually calling out a few people, including, I believe, President Trump by name, saying, Mm -hmm. listen, some of his policies and some of the decisions he's made has led us to have led us to these really difficult places with Hamas, with Israel, with the Middle East. Although, you know, the Trump folks will argue, we gave you the Abraham Accords. Like we were making things move in the right direction. We were getting better agreements about peace and recognition. Um, So they're going to point to those wins. Um, But yeah, even his own vice president is now saying that he's getting some of this stuff wrong. Well, and you wonder what the future of those Abraham Accords look like now. um, As this uh, war seems to to really escalate the, the government in Israel saying that they're going to treat this in a way that they've never responded to, to a Hamas attack before, obviously, given the, the barbity of mm-hmm. it, the, the severity of it. But um, you wonder what that does now to the other U.S. partners in the region. It, it could put Saudi Arabia in, in mm-hmm. maybe a more challenging position as they move closer to, you know, diplomatic uh, agreements with Israel. Certainly Jordan and Egypt are concerned mm-hmm. about the, the refugee crisis that could emerge on their borders. Yeah. And think about, I mean, Jordan took in astronomical numbers at the height of what was happening with Syria and the, you know, just the unrest there. And so over the past few years, there's been a lot of pressure on these other countries in that region. You're right. We had been making progress by all accounts um, with the Saudis and with Israel with some recognition and some peace talks there that the U.S. was also a part of. Now you've got, as you mentioned, Egypt. There is an ongoing conversation about whether or not they're going to open passage and allow people to leave Gaza and take in some of those refugees. And there's been criticism from folks who say the Biden administration is not pressing Egypt hard enough not using our diplomatic and other levers of pressure to let people leave Gaza, because you and I both know, I mean, you can unequivocally say what has happened with Hamas is disgusting and evil, and there can be no equivocation on that. But also at the same time, recognize, listen, the Palestinian people do not have a great situation. Most of them say Hamas does not speak for us. We do not align with what they've done. Those people are caught. There are civilians on both sides that are caught in the middle of this thing. And so for Egypt to you know, by some accounts say we don't want to open this passage or we want to very much limit who can leave Gaza and come through here, that creates another diplomatic uh, front for the U.S. to try to help negotiate. Yeah, and and that's been a challenge as well. You've seen images, certainly, of children on both sides of the border, and, and, you know, they're just gut-wrenching to look at. And and you're right, it is putting now a lot of diplomatic pressure on a lot of key U.S. allies and key U.S. partners Mm -hmm. in that region who uh, we've long relied on to kind of keep stability in that part of the world as it looks uh, increasingly unstable. Let's switch to that domestic um, issue, uh, this nettlesome issue of not having a Speaker of the House at a time where there really needs to be a fully functioning United States Congress as we deal now with questions about U.S. support for Israel, questions about ongoing support for Ukraine, certainly questions about homeland security and, and threats in this country. We've now gone more than a week without Mm -hmm. a duly elected Speaker of the House. 
And it does not appear, at least as we speak here, that the Republicans are any closer to getting 217 votes for any individual. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, this is really tricky because critics of removing Speaker McCarthy, then Speaker McCarthy, um, said, what is your plan? Like, what mm -hmm. is the backup plan from here? Do we mm -hmm. have somebody within the party that you guys are ready to coalesce around? Do you have that plan? And the answer was sort of no. It was sort of we don't like what McCarthy's doing, at least this tiny group of people. We have the power based on this deal. We negotiated with him on this motion to vacate to take him mm -hmm. out. So, yes, the GOP has had their vote behind closed doors. Scalise came out on top in that. But there were nearly 100 people who didn't vote for him. So, again, mm. OK, well, then what's your plan? Let's hear this out. You know, you've got uh, the top Democrat, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, saying, listen, it's up to the majority to figure this out. Like, we can't do their work yeah. for them. But they fool around enough. Uh, you're going to be flirting with the Speaker Hakeem Jeffries. So Republicans have <laughs> or, to figure or out a what coalition or a coalition type right. speaker. Right. Somebody. Yeah. It gives him Which a better argument for that. It gives Democrats a better, right. It, it gives them a better <laughs> argument for this is a moment in history. We need the Congress to be functioning. If you guys can't get it together, this is the step forward. So we'll see. Today is another day. Yeah. And uh, government funding expires in about a month. So the, the time is. They're is on quickly. top of it. Yeah. <laughs> getting those those appropriations bills are really getting done so yeah it's a remarkable moment that, that we find ourselves in um yeah. shannon bream always appreciate our chats thank you for the time thanks jared this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Mark Thiessen with your Fox News commentary coming up. We've been hearing since Saturday about atrocities committed by Hamas terrorists in Israel, murdering hundreds of people, men, women, and children. We found 260 bodies of young people that were part of the music festival that were butchered there, executed. Israeli Foreign Minister Spokesman Lior Hayat, dozens of people are kidnapped, taken from Israel into Gaza, including Afri Levy, says her brother, sister-in-law, and two young nephews. They just have to be strong and, and try to take care of themselves and be positive because... Because over here we're doing anything we can, and I know it's not much, but we're doing everything we can to bring them back. Thousands of rockets have been fired into Israel, some landing in the southern city of Starot. Cowardly attacks against children right near a children's park. Never again. Gone are the days the Jews don't know how to defend themselves. Like Americans old enough to remember where they were when they learned about the September 11th attacks in 2001, Israelis will remember October 7th, 2023. I was in synagogue on uh, what was the last day of the holiday called Simchat Torah, the day we rejoice with the Torah, with the, with the Bible, and I pray very early in the morning. Michael Eisenberg grew up in New York City and moved to Israel 30 years ago, co-founder and general partner of Aleph, a venture capital firm for Israeli entrepreneurs. He has eight children, two of them now serving in the Israeli military. And so I was at the end of the prayer service, and then the siren went off uh, in Jerusalem uh, while we were dancing with the Torah scrolls. So we ran into a stairwell, uh, the group of us that was praying there, um, waited out the siren, I then decided to call it. Uh, that was the end of the service. Um, and uh, we went home. 
uh, I have a son who uh, is currently serving in the military and he was home on a, a week leave. Uh, so he has his phone on because he's on, uh, you know, immediate call up in general. He looked at his phone uh, and they said, hey, you may be called in. And uh, then my other son who's in reserve duty, who was with us, uh, turned on his phone and they told him, hey, you better be ready to be called in. And I realized this was not good. And that's how you know we first first realized things were happening. Yeah, I mean the scale of it wasn't known for you know a few hours, and then the the the, the really horrific scale of it wasn't known for maybe a couple of days. I, I'm not even sure we still know the full horrific scale of it. I mean, it's really horrific. Uh, Holocaust level level atrocities, even if not in quantum, but certainly in quality, uh, they 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 butchered people, massacred people, they slit a pregnant woman's stomach, they beheaded kids. Uh, babies, uh, killed them in their cribs, you know, and I'm not sure we know, we know the extent of it. You know, I have, uh, people that I know are still missing their kids and I just came from, uh, and my own cousin was killed and I just came from condolence calls at two friends of mine who lost sons as well. Yeah. Your you cousin, know, a lot of the bodies are unidentified still also. Right. Yeah. I mean, your cousin, Joey, his name was right. Was, was killed in fighting already. He, he was, he was killed right in the first morning we've, we've learned. Um, he was one of the first units into a town called Kfar Aza, uh, which is uh, a town uh, right near the border, and uh, was killed there by Hamas barbarians uh, trying to get trying to get women and children and families out. This obviously isn't when I say in, as a whole, this isn't new. But what we're seeing is new. Do you have a sense of why now? Why these sort of ISIS level atrocities instead of the garden variety terrorism we've seen from Hamas over the decades. Yeah, I'm not sure the previous stuff has been garden variety. You know, I have a son-in-law who was wounded in the last operation in Gaza after they uh, kidnapped people and fired rockets on all our cities. But this level of atrocity and brutality of breaking in is is unprecedented uh, and traumatic. I, I, I think there's a few things. Um, one is, you know, cults of hate, which is what Hamas is and indoctrination. Uh, take time to fester to this level. And you know, we have a, you know, a whole generation of kids that has been indoctrinated uh, under Hamas since they took over. Uh, you'll recall, I think it was Jimmy Carter who presided over the elections um, at, at the time where they threw out the, the Fatah party. And so now they've had 20 years to indoctrinate kids with this incredible uh, hate and you know, uh, animal level uh, behavior. And so I think that's one thing that's kind of converted. The second thing, ironically, I think is you know, the ability to broadcast this on social media and create this tr level of trauma and fear um, that they've clearly taken advantage of. You know, here in Israel, we have a tech big technology economy. We try to use social media for good. and These guys use it to expose these atrocities and, and frighten people and make people sick to their stomach about what happened to their children. Um, and I think perhaps, you know, the, the third thing is that, uh, uh, you know, there was some distraction here, whether it was uh, from things heating up in the north or uh, or in the east um, or from the politics in, in the country. And maybe they thought that was a good time to take advantage of this and to do something that was uh, just other level and, you know, other level atrocious and despicable. These are not these are not human beings. Human beings have souls. If you're a human being with a soul, you don't behead babies. You don't slit the stomachs of pregnant women. That that's not human behavior. What do you say to Jews in America who aren't pro-line, uh, hardline pro-Israel, or even other Americans who maybe don't care for Netanyahu's government, 
who think Palestinians have been mistreated in Gaza, but but obviously oppose the atrocities committed by Hamas. How do you how do you show your support and how do you square that? You know, there, there, there's a lot of people in Israel also don't support the Netanyahu government. That's what the protests have been about for, for, for nine months here. But that's got nothing to do with any of this. This is an act of anti-Semitism and animal behavior against people just because uh, they are Jewish. And this kind of evil spreads. You know, uh, there's that famous line, and, and then they came for me. And if anyone thinks uh, that they're safe from this kind of uh, behavior, they're not. And so we need to absolutely eradicate it. You know, and not only that, we need to save the Palestinian children because if Hamas, ISIS, these animals are left in power, there'll be another and another generation of these Palestinian kids indoctrinated with this hate and this level of, of animal behavior. And so everyone in the free world who believes in empathy and the human spirit needs to come out against this and needs to make sure this is ended once and for all. And these people are taught a lesson, never to dare to raise and rear their animalistic heads again and kill babies, kill women, kill pregnant women, and take advantage of us. And by the way, it could happen anywhere. It could happen in London, in New York, in, in Miami, in San Francisco. You think it can? It can. I know you can't speak for your entire city, but what's the mood like in Jerusalem? It's, it's majority Jewish, but... I don't know, 40% or so Palestinian, I guess. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful city. It's an important city, but it can be tense there uh, in, in the best of times. Uh, what's it like now? You know, I think everybody is uh, is tense uh, and optimistic that we're going to triumph over this email, evil all at the same time. Um, and, you know, Israelis have incredibly resilient civilians. You see the civilian efforts uh, that are going on here. Um, but, you know, it's tense. And uh, the Arab population uh, in, in Jerusalem, uh, I'm going to assume, uh, is not Hamas and is as disgusted as we are by what went on here. And even if we have political differences with people, there is one thing which is political difference, and the other thing is resorting to violence and, and animalistic behavior. And those are two different things. And it needs to be said very clearly. You can disapprove of policy. You can have political arguments. You sort them out. We don't ever, ever, ever let evil like this go unpunished. Uh, you're chairman of a large volunteer network in Israel. Tell me what you guys do and tell me, is there any pivot to be done now? So in general, this organization called the Shomer Hadash to the New Guardians arose 13 years ago um, because of agricultural terrorism uh, against farmers in the north of the south in Israel. And uh, volunteers, many, many tens of thousands of them come out to protect the farmers, to give them a night off so they can be with their family uh, and prevent agricultural terrorism. That's the organization started, then uh, enabled uh, many people around the country to volunteer to do farm work uh, also. And so we already have in our DNA to, to be protecting people. And so uh, we have uh, increased our staff um, and uh, taking in more and more volunteers and sending our volunteers to those at least that have not been called up to reserve duty. Uh, to out to do uh, guarding and protecting of not just farms, but towns and, and cities. And we're trying to accelerate that as fast as we can. And by the way, we're also providing uh, farmhands. I, I'd say an incredible story. I got a video of it. Uh, there's a farm in the south right on the border of Gaza that, that we've been supporting for years. Uh, unfortunately, he had some tractors and other things stolen by Hamas to take the kidnapped people, the kidnapped Israelis, Americans, Europeans, I understand Thailandese also back into Gaza, 
he sends a video today that some volunteers had turned up to bring him some extra farm equipment and to help him do his harvesting. He was harvesting peanuts today saying, hey, we're going to get these guys. We'll be back. We'll be resilient. The politicians failed us, but we're coming back. The people of Israel are coming back. And it was just inspiring, really inspiring to see him do that and to see the volunteers turn up and bring him that equipment and help him out. It's incredible. Michael Eisenberg, a venture capitalist, a author of, of, of eight books uh, in Jerusalem. Now um, a couple sons in the army. Good luck to them. Good luck to you. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. God bless. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Mark Thiessen. What's on your mind? Not once in his 10-minute statement Tuesday condemning Hamas's horrific attack on Israel did President Biden once mention Iran, the regime ultimately responsible for last weekend's brutal murder of some 1,200 people in Israel, including at least 25 Americans. Worse, he delivered no warning to Iran that the regime would pay a severe price if its terrorist proxy, Hamas, harmed a single American among those it has taken hostage. This was a dereliction of duty. Let's be clear. Hamas would not be able to operate without the support of the Iranian regime. Iran funds its terrorist operatives, arms them, trains them. Without that Iranian support, Hamas would never have been able to carry out an attack of this scope and sophistication. Iran works through its proxies, such as Hamas, precisely so it can blur responsibility for attacks such as this. And the Biden administration appears more than willing to cooperate with that ruse. In order to avoid having to acknowledge the catastrophic failure of its Iran policy, when Donald Trump was president, he didn't let Iran get away with hiding behind its proxies. His administration drew a clear red line with Iran's leaders, warning that if they or any of their stand-ins killed a single American, the United States would draw no distinction between Iran and the terrorists it sponsors, and we would respond militarily against Iran. For a time, Iran danced around Trump's red line, careful not to cross it by taking American lives. It shot down an unmanned U.S. drone while avoiding a manned American P-8 aircraft that was reportedly flying in the area, which Trump called a very wise decision. In each case, Trump showed restraint, tightening sanctions, approving a cyber strike against Iran's military computer systems, and designating the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a foreign terrorist organization, all the while warning Tehran that his restraint had its limits. Then Iran miscalculated. Its proxy militia in Iraq, Khatib Hezbollah, was blamed for a rocket attack on a military base in Iraq that killed a U.S. military contractor and injured four U.S. service members. Believing his red line had been crossed, Trump struck back. He hit Khatib Hezbollah targets in Iraq and Syria. And after supporters of the militia set fire to the U.S. embassy in Baghdad, he launched a strike that took out both the militia leader and Iran's terrorist mastermind, Qasim Soleimani, the commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps' elite Quds Force. Iran backed down. Trump's actions not only deterred Iranian aggression, they opened the door for peace in the region. In the wake of the Soleimani strike, Trump brokered peace accords between Israel and not one, not two, not three, but four Arab nations, the first such agreements in more than a quarter century. Now an Iranian proxy has crossed that red line again. And Iran knows that, unlike Trump, Biden is more afraid of escalation than Iran is. Biden inherited a strong deterrence posture in the Middle East, and he squandered it begging Iran to rejoin the nuclear deal, easing enforcement of oil sanctions, resulting in tens of billions of dollars in Iran's coffers, and releasing five Iranian prisoners 
plus effectively paying Tehran a $6 billion ransom for five American hostages. In the wake of this weekend's Iran-sponsored violence, it is time for Biden to recognize the folly of this approach and restore deterrence with Iran. The first step would be to publicly declare that the red line Trump drew remains in force, and we will hold the Iranians responsible for any harm that comes to the American hostages now held by Hamas. The message to Iran should be, every time you or your proxies kill an American, a Quds Force commander will meet his maker. Biden should also reverse his policy of appeasement and fully enforce the crippling sanctions Trump imposed on Tehran. The president should further isolate the regime by banning all airlines such as Air France and Lufthansa that serve Tehran from landing in the United States. Sometimes it falls to presidents to enforce red lines set by their predecessors. After Trump took office, he twice enforced President Barack Obama's red line against serious use of chemical weapons, striking the Assad regime when it used a toxic nerve agent against innocent men, women, and children. Now it's Biden's turn to enforce a red line set by his predecessor. Iran has already gotten away with the murder of more than 25 Americans. We cannot allow even one more American to be killed with impunity. I'm Mark Thiessen. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.